Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson, Pathfinder 104, Magic Detailed. You enter a room and you see a man. He doesn't wear armor. He doesn't seem to have any sort of weapons on him. He's wearing rather simple robes, has a book at his side and a wand on the other. Who is this man? And you found out you've just walked into the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Probably not a warrior. You haven't seen one of these yet. He's a magic user. Lame. What, what can magic be? Listen, I've got my axe and it, cut, it cuts people in half. What do I need magic for? In Pathfinder, you need magic for everything. <laughs> Absolutely everything. Hey, is that a rock? We've got to do something with that rock. Let's use magic. Is that a door? I can open the door with magic. You should, you should say you need magic for everything, but magic can do everything, and it can do it more efficiently than most people. It's, it's, a, it's a diversity, variety, a flexibility in a nutshell. Yes. You basically alter reality to your whims uh, based on spell descriptions, but being a magic user is not easy. This castle is just too intense. Oh, yeah, and large person. Now I'm as big as the castle. Get out my way. You know, Ant Hall. Now you can drag the castle around if you really want to. You know what? Fireball. We're burning this castle to the ground. Stones don't burn. Oh, yeah? Not with stone to wood. That's not a real spell, but, you know. (laughs) Magic users in Pathfinder, although there's many classes that can achieve it, they follow the common stereotype that they're not very strong. They have usually have low hit points. They're not really good at fortitude or reflex saves. They're not quick. They're not particularly strong. And they're not good at hitting stuff with weapons. In fact, most of what they do, all of what they really get in their class abilities, if we're looking at a wizard or a sorcerer, is spellcasting. Is spellcasting powerful enough to keep the whole class afloat? Yes, (laughs) very much so. It is very much powerful enough. In fact, some would say, by a large margin, wizards are commonly pointed as as one of the most powerful classes in Pathfinder Mm -hmm. just because of their versatility. Yeah, and generally, like, you think spellcasters got to stay in the back. There's a whole bunch of different builds you can do where you want to be touching people to do your spells. Right. They can cast spells on themselves, buff themselves up to be relatively as powerful as fighters and such when it comes to AC and sometimes attack rolls. But let's look about what different types of spellcasters there are. First, we split it into two different subgroups, arcane spec spellcasters and divine spellcasters. Arcane spellcasters are the kind of people that get magic, you know, from the world, from their studies, from inside their blood, or something like that. Divine spellcasters are like clerics and druids. They draw their power from deities, gods, or sometimes nature itself. Mm-hmm. Now, within those two subgroups, there are two further subgroups. There is spontaneous spellcasters, and there are prepared spellcasters. And this is the first thing we want to go over. Mm-hmm. The, the two iconic, you know, standout role models for this is you have your wizards are your prepared spellcasters. You wake up in the morning, you, you grab out your spell book, and then you study it, and you practice your spells, and you memorize the spells so you can use them for that day. And until you read your book, you don't know how to cast any spells that day. Spontaneous casters, the iconic one is the sorcerer. They didn't grow up reading a book in order to cast magic. It is in their blood. It is natural to them. One day they just found out that they could cast magic. They're it was pe- incidental. They're pe- and they're, they're wonderful kitty cat Fluffy, and all of a sudden it bursts into flames. Yeah. Fluffy, what happened? <laughs> Fluffy, I'm so sorry, Fluffy. Fluffy's ashy now. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so now while there's a lot of magic users, talking about like even bards, have they have magic paladins. Um, they get magic later on in their level after a while. Um, everyone has magic. The two, like we were saying, the two role models are the wizard and the sorcerer. So we're going to talk about them just a little bit to kind of help uh, give you guys an example. 
Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, how wizards prepare their spells. Remember, they're arcane. So this will be our, our, our poster child for our preparing arcane spells. Yes. Um, wizard, this method of preparing spells will fall under all prepared arcane spellcasters, such as the wizard, the witch, the magus, and the arcanist. So to prepare their spell, they got to rest eight hours. This is Pathfinder's way of saying, we don't want you to be cheap, broken pieces of crap. <laughs> <laughs> you need eight hours of straight rest. Right. Uh, if you don't get those eight hours, you cannot prepare your spells next day, and you have to use whatever you didn't use the next day. And most teams are pretty flexible with this. If you get seven, seven and a half, they're not going to freak out, most of them, you know? <laughs> we don't have a stopwatch, and we're yeah. like, hey, 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 did you rest for eight hours? I don't know. We don't always have, like, an, a very loud frog or cricket wake you up at seven hours and 59 minutes just so you don't <laughs> get your spells, because that's how we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you rest for eight hours, you wake up as a wizard or witch or whatever you may be. So you wake up in the morning, you grab your spell book, or if you're a witch, you grab your familiar, and you read your book or you talk to your familiar, and you prepare your spells. Tell me your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so what that means is you have slots. You have, you know, three level one spells, let's say. That means you go through your spell book, or you go through your familiar, you talk to them. Or as players, you actually go through your character sheet. Right. N- look at spells you have on your spell book, and you say, I'm going to cast Magic Missile today, and I'm going to cast Mage Armor today, and I'm going to cast another magic missile today. You just prepared three level one spells. Right. Once you cast that mage armor, it's gone. You don't get it again for the day. Mm-hmm. Once you cast that magic missile, you got that other one, but the magic missile you just cast is gone. Right. Then once you cast that third magic missile, it's gone. Second magic missile. Uh, yeah, numbers are difficult for me yeah, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> uh, listen, there's, the magic missiles have a bunch of little missiles, so now it's just complicating things. Oh, oh man, I made it way too complicated. <laughs> but... In order to prepare your spells like that, it takes an hour. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how many spells you actually have, how many mm-hmm. spell slots, it takes one hour of preparation. And until you get another eight hours rest, you are stuck. Those are the spells that you can use that day. Nothing more. Important to note, there are some things in Pathfinder that reduce or eliminate your need to sleep. Uh, even if you don't sleep, you still need eight hours of rest in order to prepare spells. And you're not in combat. You're kind of just sitting down relaxing. There's um there's also uh, some feats and things that can affect it uh, that can affect the time you have to study your spell book. So let's say so instead of studying your spell book for an hour, you only study for 15 minutes. Important to note, you don't have to prepare all your spells at once. If you're a wizard, you can leave a spell slot open and then later in the day choose what spell you want to cast. So if you come across a situation that calls for a very specific spell, like you have to swim and you just happen to have something that gives you a swim speed on your spell list and you save that spell slot, you can sit down, read your book for a little bit shorter time than the full hour, and then prepare that spell. Right. This is something that I think a lot of players uh, don't remember, but end up doing because they're cheating. They're like, <laughs> you know, they don't, if you, if, as a DM, you don't ask for the spells ahead of time. They're like, oh, yes, I did prepare Snake Charming <laughs> now that we're happy to fight snakes. Let me just read my book for a few yeah, minutes. Yeah, but they can absolutely do that if they want. They just need to spend a little time right beforehand. Um, the spells in their spell books, they can basically throw whatever they want into their spell book. You get a certain amount of spells whenever you level up that you can add for free to your spell book. You just say, like, I decide to learn Fireball this level. But you can also learn spells as a wizard from outside sources. If you find a scroll of Fireball, you can scribe that spell into your spell book. If you find another wizard's spell book, you can take their spell book, copy down their spells for a little bit of a cost, and then... Mm-hmm. You now have those spells in your spell book, and you can prepare them. There's uh, some checks and some costs that you have to do, 
but you know you can look up those tables. We're not going to go over that very specifically. Right. Just know that it is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Also, you can research spells. You spend some time, you spend some money, and you can quote unquote research a spell and add a spell to your spell book. Mm-hmm. And again, there's an associated cost with all those like, things. I saw check. that 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 son of a gun threw fire at me in the form of a ball. How did he do Let that? Let me spend some time and money. Figuring that out. <laughs> What's the magic word for fire? <laughs> What's the magic word for ball? Fireball! <laughs> I'm putting it together. I've created a, a wonderful smell. Cost me so much gold, but this is so worth it. Fireball, fireball, fireball. John, please stop. Our house, fireball, fireball, fireball. Stop here killing everything the whole town. Do note that uh, without your spell book or you're familiar as a witch, you cannot prepare your spells, so... Keep it safe. GMs usually won't be jerks and be like, the thief tumbles through the whole group, runs right up to the rogue, and stabs him right in the spell book. <laughs> and it lights on fire because it's a flaming dagger. Right. They won't, they won't do that usually unless you're being a real jerk and they shouldn't do it anyway. Yeah. But do know that you need to have your spell book on you and you should really keep it safe because it's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're ever strapped for cash, you're like, well, the spell book's worth a lot. Nope! <laughs> nope! Keep that! Nope! I think I can remember the spells off the top of my head. You can't. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's move on to spontaneous casters. Right. They're a little bit different. Suppose the wizard had those three level one spells they could cast a day. They had to pick each spell that they wanted to cast. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're a sorcerer, and you can cast three level one spells a day. I'm a sorcerer, and I can cast three level one spells a day. Now, instead of having a spell book of spells you can prepare, you have spells that you know. Now, unlike a spell book, this is limited. You only learn a certain amount of spells every level, and adding you can't really add to spells you know. The advantage being that you can typically cast more spells than a wizard. So a wizard would only be restricted to three spells a day. A sorcerer might get five or six spells a day that they right. can cast. They ha- but they don't have spell slots like a wizard. They have their spells known. So suppose you only know two spells. You only know magic missile, and you know mage armor. You wake up in the morning... You do not need to prepare your spells. Mm-hmm. You had eight hours rest. That's still a thing. Right. You still need your eight hours rest, but you do not need to sit there and prepare your spells. You do sit there for 15 minutes and concentrate, which is something I just learned about. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I thought they woke up and they were like, woohoo, magic missile, magic missile. Yeah. No, you gotta. You need 15 minutes uh, of concentration, and then you can cast your spells freely. Once you can, you can cast any spell you know, mm-hmm. and it just takes up a spell slot. So you could cast magic missile six times. Right. You could cast Mage Armor six times. Right, which we should all do. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can cast, you know, Magic Missile three times and Mage Armor three Mage times. Armor stack? It's much simpler than a wizard, but it is more restricted. Like I said, the advantage being that Sorcerers and Bards get more spells per day, mm-hmm. but the wizard can... Pro- can learn essentially every spell in the game. So as whereas you can only cast Magic Missile and Mage Armor, they have in their spell book... Magic Missile, Mage Armor, Floating Disc, uh, Cone of Flame. Something that, yeah, t- how, do you, how do sorcerers learn more spells? Well, it's mainly by leveling up. Right. You typically learn, I believe, two or one or two new spells of a few, every few levels. Mm-hmm. So Spontaneous is a little bit easier. You don't have as much bookkeeping. You just keep a tally of how many spells of each level you cast a day, and then once you run out, you run out, and you got to rest for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Whereas a wizard has to specifically say, like, I need this spell, I'm going to cast this spell, I'm going to cast this spell. Ooh, and this looks like a good spell. 
Now, the process, that's for the arcane spellcasters. The process for the divine spellcasters is similar, but does differ in some aspects. Suppose you're a cleric, the analog to wizard, you are a prepared divine spellcaster. You don't have a spell book. Instead, you have access to the entire divine spell list. Note that the divine spell list and the arcane spell list are a little bit different. They have different spells accessible to them. Arcane has a lot more spells, usually, and Divine has a lot more spells associated with healing and restoration and then right. controlling uh, deity-type associated creatures like demons and things like that. Or the like opposite, that. harm and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So you don't have a spell book. You wake up uh, as a cleric. Instead of just preparing your spells, you choose a time of the day special to you, and every day at that time, you prepare your spells. So if you're a worshiper of Sarenrae, which is the goddess of the sun, you might say, I'm going to prepare my spells at sunrise every day. Right. It doesn't really matter. You pick a time of day. Each day at that time, you have to prepare your spells. And then just like the wizard, you have a spell slot and you say, I'm going to cast Cure Light Wounds today and I'm going to cast Shield of Faith today. Right. And again, you don't have a spell book. You can pick those spells from any spell on the divine spell list. So it's less bookkeeping again. You can just, you know, open up the divine spell list, be like, hey, I want that one and that one for today. Again, the preparation takes roughly an hour of praying and preparing for your spells. So they don't get, they don't ever have to get more spells. They get higher level spells as they level up. Right. Like once you hit level two, you now have access to all the level two spells of the divine spell list, the cleric spell list. Which is something, let's be clear, uh, with wizards, they can they can write a level 6 spell in their book, but if they can't cast it, then they can't cast it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get spells early, quote-unquote, as a wizard. Like, you know, you're level 1 and you find a level, level 5 spell, you can scribe it, but you can't cast it. Which, now that you say that, it's kind of be a cool little hook to put in as, as a game, like, you know, the whole game, he keeps looking forward to the time when he can finally cast the spell he got. And then right before, you steal his book because you're the worst DM ever. Flaming dagger tumble stab right to the book. I know your weak spot, mage. Flaming dagger tumble stab. I love it. He has so many ranks in acrobatics, she'll never stop him. He has favorite enemy, book. Now, uh, druids are similar. They basically do the exact same thing, but they have their own spell list that has more nature-themed spells in it. Rangers and paladins do the same thing, again, having their own specific spell list that they can choose from, but otherwise they all act the same. Now, this is all there was until the Advanced Player's Guide, where they introduced the Inquisitor and the Oracle, which are spontaneous divine casters. Uh, There's nothing special about them. They kind of act exactly like their arcane counterparts. Right. You Every time you level up, you pick some spells off the divine list that you now know, and you cast them spontaneously just like a sorcerer or a bard. So let's say you, you get your spells, whatever class you've picked, wizard, sorcerer, all these guys, and you look at your spell, and you see the description of a spell, and you're like, what does all this mean? What's somatic? There's, I don't even know what that means. Is there's there's so, so much, crates in this game? There's so much text. I thought I just read the book. The spell is its own book. <laughs> exactly. So um, because it's so awesome and, and, and varied, you need a lot of description for each spell to tell you exactly what it does. So here we're going to show you how to read a spell. Right. Spells are very varied um, what they do and their scope and their abilities. You need to read each spell thoroughly that you're going to cast to make sure that you understand exactly what it's doing. It's not like swinging a weapon, which is kind of a universal thing that when you pick up a weapon, it really acts the same no matter which weapon you pick up. 
most spells are entirely different from one another and have entirely different impacts and mm. methods of casting and things like that, making it a much more difficult thing That's to right. pick up. So let's look at let's uh, look at the things you'll see in the spell description. The first thing you're going to see is the name Herp Derp Derp, of course. Yeah, Fire Derp. Fire Derp. That's our spell. Derp Ball. We're going to make a spell right now for everybody. Fire Derp Derp. So you got Fire Derp. What school is it? Uh, there's a bunch of schools uh, of magic, and each mean a little something different. We're just going to give you a quick little uh, description. You have Abjuration, which are protective spells. Your mage armor, your shields, things like that. Conjuration, which is uh, getting. S- Summoning things in general. You summon creatures, you summon weapons, you, you bring something into existence. Uh, healing also falls under a sub-school of conjuration. Divination, which enable you to learn secrets. Yeah, it's like viewing things from afar. It's basically knowledge. You learn things about other things. You scry upon someone. You basically spy on people. Enchantment spells that affect the minds of others, influence or controlling their behavior. This succubus's favorite school. This is charming and convincing people to do stuff in their minds. Evocation spells. Fireball. Fire derp. Fire derp. Fire derp. (laughs) Evocation is blowing stuff up, essentially. Illusion, which I mean, if you can't guess what that is, it's deceiving people. Is that also blowing stuff up? Oh, it's making them think things blew up. Ah, even better. (laughs) It's a hallucination. Wait, can I make people think that? Things didn't blow up, but I really blew them up. Yes. Awesome! If you're you're good at it. (laughs) Necromancy, which is controlling death and unlife. Yeah, a lot of spells that are targeting people's life force and giving them diseases and a lot of controlling of the undead. A lot of gross ones, like, I'm just going to make just enough flesh grow on this corpse that I can make it a zombie. (laughs) Or I'm going to get rid of all the flesh because I need a skeleton because, oh yeah. (laughs) And then transmutation, which is changing things into other things. This is like polymorphing. You change someone to an animal and they're useless. This uh, is full metal alchemists. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, you also turn to a giant suit of armor and lose your physical <laughs> Big body. Brother! <laughs> ripped apart. Spoilers. Uh, also, I'm <laughs> also buffing yourself. There's Most of the spells that buff yourself fall under this, like... You know, increase your strength, increase your intelligence, you know, things like that. Yeah, you need to increase your intelligence. What? Uh, so description. <laughs> you said. <laughs> Listen, we both know our end scores. Uh, I, I use Fox's cunning. Uh, descriptor. Now, this is the big one. This is the one that is going to tell you, actually. Wait, no, this is not. Um, this is just like, you know, is it a dark spell or is it an evil spell? So in the school, you're also going to see something brackets right here, and this is the descriptor. This is just another, basically a sub-school. Like, you have your Eve of Vacation spell, in brackets, it's going to say fire. It's right. just giving you an idea of what the spell's going to do. A lot, like, you'll, the elements are there, or the um, alignment, things like that will be there. Um, so, like, for Fire Derp, it would be... Uh, evocation. Evocation. Brackets. Fire. fire. Fire, that's right. Just to give an example of some, you know, air, chaotic, because that's an alignment, a death effect, a force effect, a light effect. Oh, a... see, look, this is us learning again. Whenever I hear death effects, I just like assumed it meant things that could instantly kill you, but it means anything that has the death descriptor. Right. Oh. I'm enlightened. And then you're going to see the level. Now, this is important for you to know, because it's like, can I cast this or not? Yeah. Uh, this will tell you the spell's level or the level that you need to be as a wizard. The so spell level. Wizard level, level three? No, you okay. need to be level five of a wizard. Right, so... So you got to be careful with this one. This isn't what what level you need to be to cast it. This is what level the spell is. 
Right, so Fireball, Fire Derp, is a level 3 wizard slash sorcerer spell. That doesn't mean that a level 3 wizard or sorcerer can cast it. It means that it's a level 3 spell. It gets a little confusing with what the wording What level do wizards need to be? To be? A wizard needs to be level 5 in order to be able to cast level 3 spells. Right. A sorcerer has to be level 6, I believe. Level 6 or 7, I forget which. So then you're going to see components, and I... Never knew there was more than two. <laughs> <laughs> Every spell has a component, uh, usually. I think there's some. You can get rid of components, but in general, the two most common ones are verbal and somantic. Whenever you cast a spell, verbal means if it has a verbal component, which most spells do, you're speaking magical gibberish when you go to cast the spell. Like this spell we've been in, we've been casting on you this whole time. <laughs> Fire derp. <laughs> you don't just say fireball and point at someone. Um, lightning bolt. Yeah. Lightning bolt. <laughs> you're, you're talking some arcane babble in order yeah. to cast a spell. Now, usually tied with verbal components is somatic components, which means you're moving your hands around like an idiot. Mm-hmm. You need at least one hand free in order to do a somatic component. You talk some words, you move your hands around, point at someone, and you cast a spell. These are required in order to be able to cast it. This is your Dragon Ball Z. You put your hands together, only the two fingers, and then you do something. <laughs> you gotta say Kamehameha to make it work. You know, Shadow Clone Jutsu, they move their hands and they say the word. They can't do it without doing that because it's anime. <laughs> this is Fact! Pathfinder is just like anime. You have to move your hands like an idiot and talk like an idiot in order That's to right, cast spells. So these are the two most common ones, and, you know, people can hear you casting a spell, and people can see you casting a spell. So when you're casting a spell, it's not subtle. Mm-hmm. It takes six seconds of you doing this stuff. So if, um, if a spell is verbal, can you use it if you're mute? You don't make a mute wizard, and that's not a problem. <laughs> no, I mean, if somebody casts a spell like Steel Breath. Oh, yeah, then you wouldn't be able to do it. Right. Yeah. So that's why that's important. Then that's why there's still, sp- that, there's right. spill, still spell and silent yep. spell and stuff. Yep. So this is important because there's there's different things, other spells in the game and other ways which can take away anything. If you're underwater, maybe your verbal spell not going to work so well. Right. Or maybe, you know, your hands are somehow paralyzed, tied behind you, you can't do the somatic component. Right. No, fire derp, it's exactly what we need to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are other components, verbal and somatic being the most common, but there are a few other ones. Some spells have a material component. They'll say, like, you know, you need some bat guano, which I think is the actual reagent for a fireball. Fire dirt. Fire dirt. <laughs> um, so- Our fire dirt doesn't need bat guano. It actually needs live bats. I'm like Ozzy taking his bite the head off and you throw it in the crowd and then fire dirt works. <laughs> now, um, material components can be stuff like bat guano, which doesn't really have an associated cost. Like, mm-hmm. you can just assume you picked it up somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's spell component pouches you can buy that let you say you have bat guano on you. Right. But other ones will be more specific. They'll say, like, diamond dust worth at least 1,000 gold or something like Which that. Which is the way to make, you know, wish uh, not OP as heck. Yeah. So, so to keep <laughs> you got to spend 100,000 gold every time you use it. You take your time. <laughs> yeah, you do it very carefully. <laughs> now, these spells are consumed when... Or these components, the material components, are consumed when you cast the spell. So you pull it out of your spell pouch... You take the back guano in your hand, you go, and point at someone, and the back guano disappears, and a ball of fire rolls out and hits them. Now, I never want to be hit with fireball again. Now that I know <laughs> it's just it's just a back guano that's been lit on fire. <laughs> I, I can't keep saying that. Because, yep, a ball of back guano. It's not just a back guano, it's a ball of back guano. Oh my gosh, I am literally, and sulfur, I am literally being hit <laughs> by a ball of flaming turds. <laughs> 
This is the high school prank where they put it on your porch. I guess fire derp isn't that far from Where's it. Where's just actually... a bunch of three-year-olds throwing around poop like monkeys? That's what a wizard really is. I've learned so much today. All right, so after a material component, you now have another one called focus. A focus is for usually for divine casters, and it's like you have to be holding your holy symbol in order right. to cast the spell. You need to be holding your symbol of Saren Ray in order to cast daylight. You'll see Catholics do this all the time at Mass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the verbal components are the Hail Marys and the... <laughs> this, I can't do this. No, no, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the somatic component is, is getting down on your knee, doing the, the, the crossing yourself up, down, left, right. The verbal is Padre Fidi Spiritus Santos. The material, they usually have like a candle or some stupid thing, right? <laughs> or their cross, they're holding their crucifix, and they're focusing on it. That raises the important question. Which came first, religion or Pathfinder? <laughs> Which question for the ages? <laughs> now, I, focus can also be more mundane things. Like, you need to be holding a certain type of gem mm. as a focus in order to cast the spell. I guess the other one, I guess, yeah, we need to correct ourselves. The other one is divine focus is, is the one when you're holding your spiritual symbol. Right. Uh, there's, there's specifically divi- the divine focus is for your holy symbol. Focus is like you need to be holding a the only tuning reason, fork or something to cast the mechanically, spell. Mechanically, the only reason there's a difference there is just to, to be sure that people who are not clerics can't class, cast cleric spells. Not divine casters can't cast divine right. spells is all. Uh, so now you're going to get into your casting time. And this is how long does it take to... Like, initiate, to start the spell. The vast majority of spells are going to say one action or one standard action, meaning, you know, it takes you your standard action to cast the spell. You can move before or after, and you can take a swift action that turn, and it happens immediately. Mm -hmm. But it'll also, if there's a full-round action cast, then it'll say full-round action, and that happens at the end of your full-round action. So, like, I believe summoning, if you're summoning a hellhound, you begin summoning on your turn. It's a four-round action. At the start of your next turn, it's summoned. Right. And it, you have a whole set of actions. Summoning is the most common example of this. If it spell states that it takes a full round to cast, you use your full round to cast that spell, and then the actual spell effect doesn't happen until the beginning of your next turn. I summon Dirt Pound. And I think if you get hit in the middle of any... During that whole thing, you have to make a concentration check, which we'll get into later. But keep right. that in mind. You're vulnerable during that whole round. Mm-hmm. And then there's other ones that require, like, a swift action, in which case they usually have less components. They won't have both, both a somatic and verbal. They might only have a verbal component. Let's talk about something bogus. You can only ever cast one spell around, period, except swift spells. Mm-hmm. That means you can do a swift spell and a standard action spell, or a full round, whatever. You can, you can do two spells in one round if you use a swift. There is only a handful of spells that take a swift action. Grace comes to the top of my head. You activate it as a swift action, and you don't provoke an attack of opportunity when you move. But there are ways to make spells, swift spells, and we'll go over that. And then during this casting time of the spell is when you make the decisions of, you know, where's the spell going, who's the spell affecting, things like that, obviously. The next category you'll see listed in your spell is the range of the spell. Uh, we'll just go over the ranges because they're actually universal and there's only a handful of them. Mm-hmm. A spell that has a range of personal means that the, only the person that casts a spell can target themselves. You can't target anybody else with the spell. It will only affect you. Then there's touch spells, which means you have to physically be next to me, generally five feet away from them, to be able to touch them to deliver the spell. Mm-hmm. You can touch yourself. Yeah. Um, touch is kind of the black sheep of the ranges. It has a lot of its own special properties that we'll go over later. Or possibly an extra credit. Right. 
The next range is close. The spell has to be cast within 25 feet of you, and that increases by 5 feet every two caster levels. Right. Which generally, I mean, on a map, that gives you a good portion on a standard uh, play, playing mat. You have a good portion of the of the battlefield to cast your spell. With close? Yeah, I mean, 25 feet. That's I mean, we're, we're looking at... Yeah, but then they can move action and attack you. This one's a bit risky. I find right. cl- close right. one of the you're riskier right. ranges, because if you're within 30 feet of something... Most things can move at least 30 feet, so it can walk up and smack you if you cast the spell. You're so close, you got to be careful, because you have to get pretty close to the fray. I'm never careful. <laughs> but I'm... if you're a Magus, huh? Then you want to be close. We're not going to get into the most complicated class in Pathfinder. We are! We're doing it right now! <laughs> okay, so spell combat. <laughs> it's like two-weapon fighting, but it's not two-weapon fighting. It's two-spell fighting, but it wants a weapon. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway. We have got medium. This spell reaches as far as 100 feet. Plus 10 feet per caster level. That's really far. Like, just right there, the jump from close to medium, that is a big jump. You can cast a medium range spell from a completely safe distance. Now, after medium comes the next big jump, a long range spell. A long range spell goes as far as 400 feet, plus 40 per caster level. You can't even represent that on the map. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if you're on a battle map, you're like, that guy's like, on the grassy knoll somewhere. Like, my gosh. <laughs> there needs to be a spell called Magic Bullet. I swear there needs to be. There, there is. Great. No, Name Bullet, excuse me. Oh, it needs to curve. Um, <laughs> Vong, this is the kind of thing that you're doing in your role playing. It's like, I want to set that castle on fire. Well, I got this long range spell. Let's do it from super far away. No one will know. Or the dragon is retreating and he flies. You know, he flies 400 feet Freaking around. Dragons in their wings. Yeah, the dragon flies 400 feet around. Well, guess what? I can cast this spell like 480 feet away from me. Oh my god, why is a level 2 character fighting a dragon? But anyway, <laughs> you can cast that spell really because far that's away. That's what kind of game we're playing. <laughs> now, the biggest jump possible, technically, from long range, we go to unlimited range. Meaning that this spell could be cast anywhere on the same plane of existence on yourself. Oh man, the same plane of existence. That's not really unlimited. <laughs> that sounds like a limit. <laughs> there has to be some limits. <laughs> I'm casting this on the devil. Why? Why? <laughs> Why does my flesh keep turning to thorns every every like hour, the same time every day? Where is it coming from? It doesn't even hurt. It's just there. <laughs> Doctor, I got this. I got this thing that keeps happening. I got this rash. Uh, and then after unlimited, there's some spells that will have their own special range. These are few and far between, but they'll be like, you know, this spell goes exactly 85 feet, or like the effects of the spell are a radius around you and right. you know, 30 feet or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we look at fire derp. Um, it is a long-range spell. It goes 400 feet plus 40 feet a level. So we're talking 500, 600 feet away. You can shoot a little bead of fire that goes out and then explodes. That's really far. No, 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 no. This isn't a little bead of fire. This is a ball of crap no. that is lit on fire <laughs> it starts, with sulfur. It starts as a bead. No, it is a ball of crap. We know this from now on. That's what it is. Unless you spent... Oh, my... Oh my. I, ro- Wait, I, rolled, no. I rolled that bat guano. That's okay? what's happening. <laughs> Wizards are literally playing with crap all day long, rolling it, compacting it so it's small enough to be a bead. <laughs> oh, wizards are like four-year-olds. Now I want to be a wizard that starts with fireball and people get used to the fact that bat guano is, is a component. 
and then just carry around poop and cast spells with poop even though they're not components <laughs> and just tell my allies like yeah no really you have to hold this poop in order for me to cast this spell on you I've okay always, <laughs> always pictured Wiz, you're just like this awesome guy's wearing flowing robes, very mature. They're all seven-year-olds. How come I never figured this out? Now whenever I come across a wizard, I know what you do at night. When you're all alone, you play with crap. Hey, kid, reach into my spell component pouch. Ew, is that poop? Gotcha! (laughs) But no, give that back. I need that for my fireball. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I hate everything I just learned today. Spells that affect an area, like Fire Derp. Um, and there's different kinds of areas that we will be classifying here. So let's go over them. The first is, they'll all be classified as like a 20-foot burst, or a 20-foot radius, or a 20-foot something, or whatever feet it may be. They all fall under different categories. So okay. the, the stipulations around the area spells are basically how they originate. Like, do they explode outward? Do they explode in a direction? And do they go around corners and things like that? There's a couple words to classify them, and we're just going to go through them all. First type is a burst spell. A burst will usually say, like, a burst within 10 feet. And our example spell is going to be sleep. You cast sleep at an area, it bursts out from that area, and creatures caught in the spell will be subject to it. Now, the stipulation with burst is that it doesn't go around corners or it doesn't go through walls or anything like that it'll go 10 feet from uh you choose an intersection of the squares so you choose an intersection and you count 10 feet from each intersection and then that is so this will be like a four by four yeah and if you hit a wall you don't go through it or anything right or around it or anything like that at all the next one is an emanation which is exactly like a burst spell except the Effects continue from the point of origin for the entire duration of the spell. Right. So just to give an example, if sleep were an emanation spell, you cast it at that area. It doesn't go through walls or anything. Someone makes their save. If they're still in the area next turn, then they're going to have to make the save again. Or if somebody walks into it. Right. It stays there. There, Then there's spread. Spread, again, is just like burst, except that it can go around corners. This is our fire derp. Yes. You hit something, you hit this, the corner square, right? And there's a wall around there. A flyer comes out emanating from this, I shouldn't use emanating, coming out from the center, and it hits that wall, kind of tries to go around it. But it's right. not going to go through it. Exactly. You still have to count the squares. So, you know, you go five feet, ten feet, you hit the wall. You go f- five feet to go around the wall, you go another five feet to go around the corner, and then that's it. That's as far as it goes. Right. So then we have the shapes. The shapes here uh, are going to be kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. The cone is like a cylinder. <laughs> oh, no. I'm in calculus three again. <laughs> the line is a square. Okay, no. Uh, cone, this is this is like a, on the mat you're going to see a triangle formation here. This is the the guy who's, uh, you know, the, the, ma- the magician who's, who's uh, what do you call it? He's juggling around, tortures, and then he, you know, he, he blows out, he breathes fire, right? Mm-hmm. He's coning out from his mouth, that kind of a thing. So this emanates from the corner of one of your squares. Yeah, then you basically just count, you know, 5, 10, 15, 5, 10, 15 in each direction. Right, and then connect them. A cylinder is pretty self-explanatory. Um, the point you choose is the circle at the top or the bottom of the cylinder, and then the spell goes up or down from that circle. And then a line shape is one that shoots away from you or the caster, whoever, in a straight line. Uh, Quote-unquote straight line, like you can, you know... You can't go around corners or anything, but, you know, you can kind of make zigzags a little bit because that's still technically a line in Pathfinder. This, this, oh, go ahead. 
if you look at the picture they have, I think that's in the book and it's on the SRD. There's a little picture showing you the different lines. It can go straight, you know, it can start going straight and then kind of break off and hit a corner. Mm-hmm. This is the dragon's lightning breath, right? That got mm-hmm. a straight line of lightning coming out of his mouth. And then there is a sphere-shaped spell. The point of intersection you choose for the sphere-shaped spell is going to be the center of the sphere, and then the rest radiates out from it. So it will usually list the radius of the sphere for you to make it really easy. So, yeah, with our fireball, that is a spread, as in that will go around corners, and then it doesn't specify it's any of the shape, but, you know, these can all go hand-in-hand. So you can have a cone that is an emanation, so it won't go around walls, but it will stay there for the entire duration of the spell. It's not something that you need to jump right into and know off the top of your head. There, Most of the times, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's right. just the difference of whether or not it goes around corners for most of these. Right. Now, along with targeting in a cone or a cylinder or a line or something like that, you also some of the targets can be, you know, it'll just say one creature or like one creature per level or something like that. And that's pretty self-explanatory. You just have to be able to see the person, pick them out. They have to be within range of the spell, and you say, I'm casting it on that guy. Okay, good. Got right. It. But some might only target specific creatures. Like, it will attack, it'll attack all creatures within the 20-foot cone that are undead. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then you know, if there's any living creatures there, they're like, yay, I'm not dead. <laughs> I love being not dead. <laughs> One of my favorite things. I do it all the time. <laughs> Another target for a spell can be an object. Uh, mm-hmm. It can't be a person, obviously. It's got to be, you know, an item. Usually, You will usually specify if the item can be attended or not. A lot off, of the, your... a lot, off the top of my head, there's a spell shatter. You point out a weapon or an item, and you try to break it, shatter it. So you can't target people with that and break them apart, but you can target, you know, their sword or something. There's a lot of transmutation spells that is for this. Yes. <laughs> there's the oh-so-mysterious other spell. Ooh. Ooh. The, again, some spells are completely unique, and they'll be like, you know, this goes in a pyramid shape because it was made by the pharaohs, and it only affects mummies or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they they are few and far between. And then there's shapeable spells where you can draw a dick on someone's face with fire. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, wizards are, are seven-year-old. Right. Oh, my God. They're using May, May Chance to draw a dick on your face because you fell asleep first. Where'd that bat want to go? Oh, it's in my left hand and a cup of warm water. <laughs> Tired of you wizards. No more wizards in my campaign. God, there's so many wizards in the neighborhood. This is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> this used to be a good neighborhood until them wizards moved in. Everything's Listen, I'm a respectable arcanist. There's something different here. I don't need components. <laughs> Uh, I'm playing with feces over here. I'm trying to think of a shapeable spell. There's this. There's a spell that's called like Fire Dragon or something like that, where it's like it just goes 20 feet, and you can just you know draw whatever you you're want. You're playing Snake the video game. Yeah, exactly. You're playing dragon. Snake. You're just like, oh, what? Left, up, down, right. Oh, got that guy. <laughs> waka 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 waka. Some spells will specify that they need a line of effect. This is pretty simple. It's just like a line of sight for ranged weapons. Except that you're not blocked by your sight. Like, they, you just need a straight line in between you and them with no interference in between. Oh, it's dark. Listen, I know he's there. It doesn't matter. Fireball. Yeah. <laughs> fire derp. If you could locate this. Now I can see him because he's on fire. <laughs> oh, back one He smells terrible. I can still locate him. Even if he's if it wasn't on a fire, fire, it still would be. I wouldn't want to be hit by it. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, you just need to be able to 
not necessarily see the person, but there needs to be a line between you and them, and there needs to be nothing in between so you can cast the spell. Now, the next category you run into on the spell is the duration. This is, again, simple. It's just how long the spell lasts. But there are a few caveats in which uh, how these work, and there's slight differences between them. Right. Some are timed, so, like, the spell will paralyze him for five rounds. Well, then that's the duration. Five rounds he would be paralyzed. Like, these are spells that'll last ten minutes a level, one round a level, one hour a level, a day a level. Right. Things like that. They're they're all very simple. Now, the next is the difference between instantaneous and permanent. And this is actually a very important distinction. A spell that has a duration of instantaneous means that it happens immediately. The example I'm going to use is flesh to stone. When someone casts flesh to stone on somebody else instantaneously that person is turned into rock. If you detect magic on that person afterwards, there is no magic. The spell is over, and the spell did what it was supposed to, and it turned them into a rock. They are now officially a rock. Mm -hmm. Now, this is different from a permanent spell, which they kind of had, they seem similar. It's confusing at first. But a permanent spell means that this spell lasts forever, unless it is dispelled by something else. So let's Suppose that Flesh to Stone was a permanent spell. I cast Flesh to Stone on someone, they are now made of stone. But if someone detects magic on them, they detect that, hey, this person was turned to stone via a magical spell called mm-hmm. Flesh to Stone. Uh, a good example of this is like uh, Mage Armor. You can make Mage Armor permanent with a permanency spell, and now you're co- that's constantly always in effect, Mage Armor. Though it's a spell, it's always, that spell is always effective. Now, the person that was turned to stone, you can cast a spell magic on them to get rid of this spell. The spell itself lasts forever, but once you use the spell, you can dispel it. Because mm-hmm. you're a mage, you can do things like that. You can dispel a permanent spell, and then the effects are gone. Mm-hmm. So that permanency mage armor can be dispelled, and then you no longer have mage armor. Whereas when someone gets flushed to stone, it is instantaneous, it is... They are officially rock. They can only be turned back with things that specifically target rocks. Right. It's about concentration. This will last long as you're concentrating on it. Concentrating is standard action, so you can still kind of move around a little bit. Yeah. I think Flaming Sphere falls into this category. You can move it around by concentrating on it. Yep. So you and cast if you're Flaming Sphere. You can take it right away from them. <laughs> now I'm concentrating. What's up? <laughs> Stupid seven year olds. Let me show you how it's done. Why does it smell so bad in here? <laughs> you didn't need that guano for the spell. I know. Then why did... <sighs> so if, if the spell denotes it and requires concentration, you have to spend a standard action, not invoking attack opportunity every round, concentrating to keep that spell going. Some spells will listen to their duration that it lasts on the subject for so long, mm-hmm. meaning that if you cast a spell on a person, that spell is going to last for the duration, and it's going to follow that person around. So it's mage it's armor, stuck to that guy. The guy doesn't have to stand in that same spot to get his mage armor. He right. can slip in and out of it. Wherever he is, the spell goes with him. Some spells will target an area, and that means that the duration lasts in that area. If you move out of the area, the spell doesn't affect you anymore. So some spells are touch spells, and they actually have a unique duration. The way a touch spell works is that you cast a spell, let's use Shocking Grasp, where you touch someone and you deal electrical damage. You cast Shocking Grasp. The spell is now in your hand. It took you a standard action to cast Shocking Grasp, but now you hold the charge in your hand of Shocking Grasp. You don't need to touch someone immediately. You can leave that spell in your offhand for as long as you want, indefinitely. You can leave a Shocking Grasp in your hand. 
in order to attack. Be careful when you go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what you cast it on that right hand. Maybe cast it on your non-predominant hand, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you got more to worry hey, about. Actually, maybe that's what you want. Maybe it's time to, to liven things up a little bit. Is that why they say you'll go blind? <laughs> but you leave shock and grasp on your hand, and then the way you actually hit someone with it is you make a touch attack, and that's a free action. So you can hold that shock and grasp in your hand for as long as you want, and then you find someone, you're like, ha tag, you're it, and you're also <laughs> seizing now. <laughs> If you cast another spell, though, the touch spell will dissipate. Some touch spells will say that they can be, they have a duration and they have an amount of times they can be used. So you can keep touching someone as a free action on your turn over and over again until the spell is gone. If you cast another spell, though, the touch spell is going to dissipate. Um, there's, there's a little symbol you'll see at, at the end of some durations, and that's a D, which means it's dismissible, which means you can dispel the spell at will. This is like I summoned my derp hound, and I don't need him no more because now he's attracting. He, he's aggroing. Come on, Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> so you dispel him. Just be careful with things that aren't dismissible because you have to wait the full duration of the spell for it to go away. So if you try to trap someone by creating a pit under them and they dodge and run away and now there's a big pit blocking the hallway you have to go down, that's kind of annoying. And you can't dismiss that back one. Once it's on fire, you you got to smell that. <laughs> it's done. Next thing you're going to see is saving throws. Saving throws is where you throw somebody out of the way right before something happens, right? Right, like in all those movies. With right. My Using actor. reflex. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Saving throws is somebody has the, the chance to negate or to get a partial effect from your spell. If we're talking about fireball, they have a chance to dodge the fireball and take less damage because they're quick. Right. So there's a couple of, uh, of those things. Let's, let's go through them. Negate, which well, means... Well, let's just, let's just remind everyone the different types of saving throws. You have your fortitude saving throws, which will save you from spells that typically give you disease or negative levels or things like that. You have your will, which a lot of things that affect your mind, compelling you to do things. And then you have your reflex saving throws, which allow you to get out of the way of some spells, like fireball or create pit. Right. So you have uh, the ability, uh, some saving throws will negate, which means you don't take any damage whatsoever or any negative effect. Right, so if you make a reflex save against create pit, someone creates a pit under you and you succeed at your saving throw, you just move to the side, nothing happens. Right. Some spells will say, you know, fortitude save partial. That means that even on a successful saving throw, something is still going to happen to them. It's just typically not as bad. Then there's half. This is where the spell will deal damage, but if you save, you only take half damage. Like right. fire derp. Fire derp, exactly. You make your reflex save, you take half damage. You, you, jump, you duck down, and you're, 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 you still get burned on the top of your head or stuff, but you know, now you're bald. You, you, like you still smell like poop. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't stop that. That's going to happen either way. But you don't take as much damage. You weren't standing with arms open saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Come at me. Uh, the next type of thing, some spells t- don't offer a saving throw. It will just say none. No saving throw. The right. spell goes off no matter what. You're going to have to do it. That's one of the, the best things about Magic Missile. Is if you hit, you hit. It, it, it always hits. Uh, illusions act differently from most other spells. When someone puts up an illusion, you don't get a saving throw to disbelieve the illusion until you interact with it, like, physically. Mm-hmm. So if someone puts up the illusion of a wall, until you try and touch the wall, you, you think there's a wall there. Right. Now, when you succeed at a saving throw at an illusion... You kind of see through it, but you still see an outline. So if you touch that wall and you realize it's fake, you make your will saving throw. 
you can see through the wall, but there's kind of like the outline there. You can still kind of see that the, the wireframe in a video game. Yeah, you can still see that's there, but you can you know that's not real, and you can move through it at will. Right. Some spells are pointed at objects, like shatter I mentioned earlier, where you try to break someone's weapon, which means the weapon itself gets a saving throw if they're magical. Now, there's a little table in the magic weapons that we're not going to go over now, but they have their own sub, um, saves associated It's just with so them. you can't destroy this guy's bane of undead sword that he spent so, time, so hard getting with a simple break spell. Listen, it has a chance where it's not going to work. Now, if you're attending the weapon like someone's holding the weapon, uh, the person holding the weapon makes the saving throw for the weapon, unless the weapon saving throw happens to be better. Which I hope that's of... not the case. Wow, man, you really have a overpowered weapon, sir. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Fighters probably have worse will saves than swords, let's be honest here. <laughs> uh... But yeah, just know that weapon, if it points at an object, it does get a saving throw. If someone's holding it, usually it uses their saving throw. And then there's harmless. If a spell isn't beneficial or harmful, but the target creature can still negate it if he wants to. I can't think of it off the top of my head. I guess if I was like, I'm yeah, going to no, turn mo- you blue. Yeah, no, I no, don't no. want to be turned blue. I'm going to turn you blue. I'm going to will save. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, prestidigitation would be one of those. But mm-hmm. um, usually buff spells will say this. Like, you can cast in large person on somebody. Like, you usually cast it on your teammates. Oh, it's usually beneficial. I thought not beneficial. Yeah. I said that wrong. I need to repeat. If, um, if a spell is beneficial, not harmful, uh, you can choose to take a will save if you want to. I'm going to cast bull strength on you. No, I got this. I'm going to show off. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to cast it. I said, I got this. Bro, I swear, if you throw that bat guano on me, I am coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> but you need the bat guano to be strong. That's it. No. We'll save. <laughs> Reflex, I hope. <laughs> Now, saving throws, regardless of your what type, type of caster you are, what your divine arcane, saving throws are always calculated the same way. So when These, someone makes a saving throw, they roll 1d20, and they add their appropriate modifier, and they have to meet or beat the DC of your saving throw. Now, saving throws are always calculated the same way, and it is 10 plus the level of the spell plus whatever attribute you use to cast that spell wizards have intelligence that kind of thing right so suppose you're a level one wizard with 18 in and you're cast in greece it's for a reflex saving throw so the dc of that saving throw is going to be 10 plus a level of the spell greece is a level zero uh, level one spell so 11 plus uh your intelligence modifier which is four which is four so it'll be a total of a dc 15 to right. avoid the spell that, that is the same for every class, no matter what. Now, if you're someone subject to a saving throw, you can choose to fail. There's very few instances where this will happen, just, but just be aware that you can choose to fail spells. Most things you can actually choose to spell, but like if you want to be subject to a spell for some reason or another because it's going to bounce back at somebody else or you're taking the hit for somebody else, you can choose to fail. Is there reflex? Huh? Like, you know, in Final Fantasy, you have Reflect, where you bounce spells off. I know there is, like, a really high-level spell reflection thing, but uh, other than that, I don't know. It's mechanics off the top of my head. No, we're not getting into that. Nope. Fire Derp might damage objects, but please do not go through with it. It's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it also might notice, uh, it might also might indicate if it grants spell resistance. What spell resistance? Some creatures have an innate resistance to magic. The way I typically describe it is that 
the person casting the spell has trouble targeting that person because, you know, you don't just point a finger and shoot it like a skill shot in League of Legends. You kind of have to, quote-unquote, lock on to the person with the magic to affect them with the spell. Like, if you're casting Charm Person at someone, you have to affect their mind, so you kind of have to mm-hmm. lock on to them with your magic in their mind. That's a good way to describe it. Spell resistance is basically a resistance to that locking on. You can't really lock on to them. A lot of creatures have spell resistance, and it will typically be... You know, a two-digit number. The way spell resistance works is that the person casting the spell at someone, if the spell is subject to spell resistance, you roll 1d20 plus your caster level. If you meet or beat the spell resistance, then the spell goes off like normal. If it is lower, though, your spell just straight up does not work. And you lose it as if you had casted it. Exactly. The spell resistance is actually an important point later in the game because you want to know have some spells that are not subject to spell resistance, like, you know, create pit. That doesn't target a creature, you just make a hole in the floor. So if you're fighting someone with really big spell resistance, then you can just drop a hole under them and it doesn't matter. It You didn't have to target them to right. do that. Then dispel the, dispel the pit. Oh man, I can't do oh, that. He's stuck down there. <laughs> Whoops. So after all that, you're like, wow, we just talked about a whole lot of crap, and then we just got through, like, five lines with only, like, one or two words. <laughs> now we're into the descriptive text. So, since it's so big, I'm sure you're going to talk a lot about it. Nah. Nope. This pretty much explains exactly what you need to do. The one thing I do want to know here is here it will tell you, most often, whether or not you need to make a touch attack to hit the opponent. Right. Um, You just got to read the spell and figure out what it does. Right. And, you know, some of them will be entirely different. Some of them are worded poorly. It's going to be a mixed match of all of it, but you got to read it. Right. For the for the touch attack, it'll say something to the point of you must succeed on a ranged touch attack. So right. that's how you know whether or not to hit. If, if you don't see that there, generally it means it just works if they don't make the save. Note that a lot of spells will refer to your caster level. So if you're a level 4 wizard, you have, you know, uh, your caster level is 4. That just means how many levels you have in the spell and the class that you are casting the spell with. There's some communal spells like protection from evil communal. This is the you have to spread the duration of the spell evenly as you can uh, throughout all the players. So let's. I know we've been using a fire derp as an example, but let's go through it all the way through. And so get out your little books. Look up. Look up fireball. It's not called fire derp. You won't find it. I mean, we, we wish, but uh, let's look at it through. You're gonna see school evocation, so we know it's gonna hurt something. Fire, we know it's got to do with fire. Level, Sorcerer Wizard 3. So I need to be a Wizard 5 or whatever, as long as I can cast level 3 spells. Mm-hmm. And I have to be Sorcerer Wizard. Casting time, one standard action. During that one standard action, you're going to be using verbal components, you're going to be using somatic components, and you're going to have a ball of bat guano in your hand. <laughs> and sulfur. Yes. But bat guano. <laughs> yeah, that, that all takes place during the one standard action, is right. what those components mean. And it's worth note here, there's there's different feats that let you, uh, like call like a shoe materials and things, that let you to get rid of some of the smaller materials, so you can finally do that fireball without smelling like bat guano. <laughs> But that's the best part. <laughs> Range, long, and it tells you right there, 400 feet plus 40 per level, so entire map. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and more. Area is 20-foot radius spread, so what is, let's go through radius spread. We know spread can go around walls, but it can't go through walls. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to count 40 feet in the five space increments. And 20-foot radius, I choose an intersection, and I just count 20 feet away from it. All right. In each direction. Duration, instantaneous. When it hits, it hits. There's a fireball. It happened. It lit stuff on fire. You can't dispel that. <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Well, you can get a reflex save for half damage. Spell resistance, yes. 
So you have to overcome that. Yeah, whenever a fireball hits someone, you know, you have to make a spell resistance check to see if the fire actually affects them. That's a strange one. I figured fireball wouldn't be subject to spell resistance. But I guess I'm wrong. Uh, so now you have the descriptor. So here one, this one tells you uh, how much damage it's going to do. It's going to do uh, 1d6 per caster level up to a maximum of 10d6 to every creature within the area. Not just undead or living, whatever. It's everybody. Uh, and objects. So this is great. Um, <laughs> the expulsion creates almost no pressure. You know, that's there for some really particular players who I do not want to play with. <laughs> you know, your engineering <laughs> students who, you know, try and implode a building by going into the basement and casting this and be like, no, that's how air currents work. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I have it in my CAD program right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just simulated it. <laughs> I beat you, GM. I beat you. Oh, yeah, really? Reread the spell. Oh! <laughs> and then it just gives you some, like, um, what do you call it? Some uh, lore things like your point. Actually, these are important, though. Yeah, of course they are. Why is that, Christian? Because <laughs> if you just think fireball, you think, like, I shoot a fireball from my hand. But that's actually not how it works. You point your finger and determine the range at which the fireball is to burst. A glowing pea-sized bead... Of fat guano. <laughs> ...streaks from the pointing digit... They could just hit finger, but whatever. Digit! <laughs> and unless it impacts upon a material body or solid barrier prior to hitting its pre-described range, blossoms into blossoms. a <laughs> into a beautiful fireball at that point. This is this so, your slow motion movie where the guy dives in front of the bullet. No! <laughs> there's white doves flying. <laughs> that smell like guano. And the, oh no, I hit a dove! Son of a freaking doves! <laughs> so yeah, just right there, that's all important, like how the spell works. So now, you know, you could shoot a little bead and you can send it through a little crack in the wall to hit people on the but other side. But what's this? Then I need a ranged touch attack. Uh-huh. Ooh, interesting. You don't. If you go through a narrow passage... Oh my god, no! <laughs> I can't read! <laughs> that's for, again, that particular kind of player. So, see? No, that's because you need all this stuff. I'm going to line I'm gonna line wizards at the top of this uh, tower with the with the little arrow slits, and they're just going to keep shooting fireballs out. And oh they- no, this guy rolled it bad! Oh, we're on fire! Even worse, we smell like bat guano! <laughs> you already smell like bat guano, sir. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it, it goes. It continues. If you attempt to send the bead through a narrow passage, wait, wait, wait. wait. So it just came to my mind. There is an industry where someone is mining out bat guano to sell to wizards. That's an industry in this world. That'd be an interesting like quest. Like, you know, no, it would not. <laughs> Burn it down. No, no, I, I refuse this quest. I don't want to set the bat guano cave on fire. No more Please, fi- no. No more fireballs. I have so... The wizard walks in, his eyes get so wide, I can burn everything. <laughs> so, if you attempt to send the bead through a narrow passage, just as an arrow slit, you must hit the opening with a ranged touch attack. It, I don't know what the AC of that would An be. item would be. I don't know. I have to look at that crap. Uh, j- just roll and I'll tell you whether it's good or bad. Yeah, if it sounds like kind of a high number, I'm good with it. Uh, oh. Arbitrarily, it's 10 now. <laughs> oh, I see. You already knew about this, Caleb. Or else the beat strikes a barrier and detonates prematurely. Oh, boy, that's a problem for 1 in 10 men, honestly. <laughs> 1 in 10 wizards detonate their fireballs <laughs> prematurely. 
So you guys have to know Christian's cute when he laughs because he covers up his mouth as if like it's like you know, like a little I, I cackle like a witch before he got up and walked around his chair and sat back down like a dog ready to go to sleep. He spun around before taking his spot, and there's the cute cover the mouth. <laughs> The fireball sets fire to combustibles. Good, great, awesome. See, look, it's got That's to... important. That's really important. <laughs> and it can melt metals with low melting pelts points, such as lead, gold, copper, silver, and bronze. I'm glad they listed them for me. <laughs> so if you're re- All my money! <laughs> it just happens to be everything you use to make money out of, except platinum. <laughs> That's I'm carrying platinum always. Oh, what's this? The tumbling instant... <laughs> No, I, I came up with that before because it specifies it for lightning bolt that it does it as well. So I'm just gonna have a little gnome that pops out of treasure chest and be like, "Hello, lightning bolt!" And just steals, zap, just zaps your goddamn coin pouch. It just turns to a big puddle of coins. And he he used a spell earlier to make a hole, but he used an uh, illusionary spell, so he didn't know it was there. The liquid falls down there into a bucket he had ready, and you're like, "Where did my gold go?" He just walks away with a bucket of your gold and copper. Yeah, it, it melts. This is something that, like, they, most people will ignore that. Like, if you get hit with a fireball, the DM's not going to be like, oh, by the way, all your gold melted. Yeah, it's like, okay, it's still worth gold, right? Yeah. What are you okay, going to pick it up and, you know, remelt you it go to the You go somewhere and go, how much will you take for this brick <laughs> of gold? Uh, I'll give you exactly 500 gold pieces. Well, that's what it's made of. I've got my gold pieces back. <laughs> so, yeah, most DMs won't do that, but that, note that that is there. But that particular kind of person, that, that 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 line, the explosion creates almost no pressure. When he becomes a GM, he might do that. <laughs> now, if the damage caused to an interposing barrier shatters or breaks through it, the fireball Fire may c- continue beyond the barrier if the area permits. Otherwise, it stops at the barrier just as any other spell effect does. So now you have to calculate object damage, which is so much fun! Is that a glass wall I see? <laughs> So as so, you can, so you'd think that, like, fireball would be, like, this really simple fe- spell. Like, oh, I'm just going to shoot a fireball at someone. Look how much wording they needed to make sure that people don't mess around with this. And this and, is a level freaking three spell. Wait till you get to level five spells. Oh, that's when the fun begins, redirecting rivers and the cities and such. But then there's other ones. It's, like, mage armor. It has, what, like, two lines because there isn't too many specific yeah. things you need about it. The most it tells you is that it can give you armor versus incorporeal things. Like, so it you got to read each spell, period. Yeah. And usually ones that target things like this and have an effect on the real world will have these really long descriptions because otherwise someone would be like, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna rocket jump with this fireball like I'm the soldier <laughs> from TF2. Right. Like, I'm sorry, it creates no pressure. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm casting a spell, right? And it's a four-round action. And um, I'm, I'm summoning a Helderp. And I get hit by an arrow. Owie! Well, my spell, do I get to keep it? No, what you're touching on is concentration checks. You know, we you have to talk when you cast a spell. You got to move your hands. You have to concentrate on those things. If something breaks your concentration, you can't cast the spell. So, what's the concentration check? How do I how do I keep my spell here without losing it? So, whenever you run into an instance where you're basically jostled about while you're casting a spell, you have to make what's called a concentration check. Just to give examples of things that will proc concentration checks. If you're injured while you're casting a spell... You're grappled. Vigorous motion, such as on a ship or on a horse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Weather. I'm going to cast my fireball. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to make... Each of these have their own separate DCs to make with your concentration check. Yep, there's a nice little table everybody can enjoy. Yeah, go look at the table, please. 
But it's mostly ten or fifteen. In order to make a concentration level. check, you roll one d twenty. You add your caster level and your casting attribute modifier to that concentration check. So let's go back to the level one wizard with eighteen in. So he has a plus four to his in. To make a concentration check, he'd roll one d twenty, add one for his caster level, and then add four for his uh, int modifier. So he'd have a plus five to his concentration check. Right. Note that if you cast a spell next to somebody else, you invoke an attack of opportunity. They're not going to sit there and let you cast a spell. They're, they're going to try. You. They're going to try and smack you. Now you can do what's called. Like you're not throwing that back guano on me. Keep your back guano to yourself. Stab, stab. <laughs> I just disarm him from his back guano. Tumble, stab the, stab the book. <laughs> you could do that though. Like if they have a material component, you could disarm the material component from their hand, and then they can't cast without their back guano. No, my back guano. <laughs> Why would you do this? But. You know, instead of invoking an attack of opportunity, you can try casting defensively. This is where you kind of, like, you don't move your hands as much. You don't talk as loud. I'm not really sure. You kind of pull back when you go to cast a spell. But you won't invoke attack of opportunity. And the DC is 15 plus double the spell level, which Ouch. is it's pretty hard. And if you fail, you just kind of lose the spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lose the spot. Yeah, absolutely. This You can make a lot of people angry by interrupting the spells. But honestly, it's something that uh, I kind of use sparingly. It, I use it so sparingly, my players kind of forget about it. So they're like, I'm just like, you know, the you know the archer pulls his bow back, but he doesn't fire. And they're like, well, it's stupid. <laughs> I cast a, he fires at your face. <laughs> but this is like the anti-paladin. He's getting a running start. He's going to go hit that. He's going to hit that pig and he's kick it right at you. And then, you know, you, you, you shoot him while he's doing it. And he's got to make, he fails the concentration check. Now when the pig hits you, it doesn't explode. It's. It probably is a spell, you're right. <laughs> it doesn't explode anymore. That pig was going to be charged. Anti-Paladinoni spell. Why do you think it smells like Bacuano? <laughs> now, what he was talking about is taking a prepared action to shoot someone when they go to cast a spell. Be very wary of that. If there's a smart archer, he's going to see that you're a wizard, and he's going to be like, okay, I, he's going to point his arrow at you, and he's going to wait until you start casting a spell, and then he's going to try to hit you. As a player, if you want to do this, you just prepare action, and you say, I'm going to... Uh, if if I make a was it's not prepared it's called a ready a ready to action I'm ready in action if the uh, that wizard starts casting a spell I'm going to attack him. Note that if someone takes a prepared action you can't cast defensively. It their prepared action goes off once you start casting the spell. Casting defensively is to not invoke an attack of opportunity. So if you want to avoid that arrow going into your throat while you're trying to cast you got to move behind a wall or move behind another player or something right. like that first. Now, there is a special circumstance around arcane spells only. Divine spells are not subject to this, only arcane spells. And that is called arcane spell failure. Now, as we know, in order to cast a spell, you've got to move your hands around and junk. If you're wearing armor, that impedes your ability to cast a spell. Right. So if you think of a wizard, a wizard doesn't wear armor. Why don't they wear armor? Well, because they can't cast spells when they wear armor. Or they can cast spells, but they have a chance of just messing up the spell and losing it. Like plate mail, I don't know what the numbers say, it's like 65% fail chance. That means you roll a d100, and if you get 65 or less, you don't cast that spell. Exactly. It's based off a chance from now on whenever you cast a spell. Not only do you have to hit them with their touch attack or give them their spell resistance or their ability to saving throw, you also have a chance just to not do it. Now, you'll see stipulations in some classes like Magus and Bard that say, like, you know, you can cast spells in light armor without incurring arcane spell failure, but you can't wear, like, medium armor or heavy armor. So just keep that in mind. That is why wizards don't wear armor, and they have their own spells to take care of that. 
Now, can I stop someone from casting a spell otherwise? Like, what if I'm a mage? I don't have a bow. I just got my spells. I mean, if I'm at a bar, can I take that spell and counter it? Are you I'm leading? sorry, I apologize. Are you leading it as a tip? I don't know. I apologize. Here's a back guano. Countered my... <laughs> what is this? You'll thank me later. No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> How do you counter a spell? A question that many DMs don't know because it's stupid and they don't use it. It's terrible. It, 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 it can be addressed. Now, they kind of address a little bit like making the Arcanist. He can, he can kind of spec into a countering spell really well. Um, so because of that, I don't think they really ever will change it, even in right. Unchained. But it's not supposed to be a viable option because it's just like, haha, you don't cast the spell now, which isn't fun for either party. Yay. Like, you didn't do anything, and I didn't do anything. Yeah, wow. no back guano on anybody. You know what? Matter of fact, this is the best thing. Ever. <laughs> the day was saved by counter spell. All right. So how does counter spelling work? So you're ready in action to counter somebody's spell. Then when they try to cast that spell, you need to make a spellcraft check to see if you can figure out, is this the same spell I, uh, is this the spell I know how to counter? Just, in, yeah, yeah. So you know what spell they're casting at, you or someone else. The DC's 15 plus the spell level. And not, then, not very hard. Not super bad. For, yeah. And if you, well, 15 is considered tough. Yeah, but the spell level, like, you know, level one spell, I want to counter. Magic. The highest is what, level five, right? What's the highest level spell? Nine. Nine. Like, maybe it's sorcerers that only go to five? Who can only go to five? Uh, usually... My paladin? They go to four, and then um, half, half spellcasters go to six. Yeah. Regardless, um, you make the check, and if you succeed, you counter it? Uh, no, you oh. need you need the exact same spell that they're trying to cast. You expend that spell as if you cast it, and then your spells just counter each other, and nothing happens. Yay! I, well, you know, when I GM, I always construct my, you know, situation, so... Both sides do as little as possible. <laughs> That's right. uh, so, 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 so let's look how difficult this is. A, you need to have the same spell as them, which, you know, if you're a sorcerer, you only know, like, what, ten spells? It's not likely. If you're a wizard, you have to have that spell prepared. B, you have to succeed at a relatively difficult spellcraft check. And C, you're writing in action, which means if the guy doesn't cast a spell, you wasted a turn. Yeah, he probably... You also didn't cast anything that turn. You needed that Bakwano to create a fireball to kill the guy over there. You were too busy stopping over here. And what did he cast? Oh, he just casted, like, mage armor. Oh, great. That saved us today. <laughs> like, he sees you, reaches your patch, pull out the Bakwano, and then stare, stare at you. He's like, oh, I wonder what this guy's trying to do. Hey, by the way, uh, just a little mention. Not only do you have to know the spell, you have to have prepared it for today. Exactly. What? So this just isn't a great option, and if your GM ever does it to you, he's probably a jerk. <laughs> because, you know, it's it's trivial for him to prepare the same spells as, you know, a character brings, that right. the PC brings to a day. All, all, all this, this, this uh, jerk joking around about it, um, one thing interesting, this is the kind of thing where, I mean, if you if you listen to our episode on, on um, player types... There are people who are in that one note who always do the same thing over and over again, and they rely on having the, you know, black tentacles and the noxious cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, if you counter one of them, you're going to force them, at least in that situation, to do something different. Yeah, that's a good example. Like, enemies aren't stupid. You know, you're running around chasing around the BBEG, and all his minions come back like, yeah, a bunch of black tentacles came from the ground, and I couldn't breathe because the air was shitty and smelled like guano. Like... <laughs> The BBEG is going to be like, okay, so they're only casting these two spells, and 
all right, I'll just have a hire a wizard. I'll train someone. I'll make a construct. I don't care. Yeah, all uh, you do uh, on the BBEG. <laughs> I've made I've made double sided glass, which means one way one way mirror over there. <laughs> Sit behind it every time you freaking cast set spell. You counter it. You hear me? Because black tentacles are first thing coming out. And this is not a hentai game. You understand me? You know what I'm talking about right now? I'm not from T and Shoe. Okay, I'm not into that kind of stuff. <laughs> now. There is some ways to make this a little bit easier. If you have the spell Dispel Magic prepared, you can use that as any spell mm-hmm. without the need to cast it, but you need to make a separate check. This as... this makes it a little more viable. Right. But you have to make a separate check. I think you have to make like a cast, an opposed caster level check against the person in order to counter their spell successfully with the spell magic. Some some specifically counter others. I'm, I, don't, I can't think of an example. I'm sure like a water spell could specifically counter Fire Derp. <laughs> Um, I think that's when they're. I think that's when they successfully cast. Like if you cast reduced person on someone that got a large person, they just kind of cancel each other out. Gotcha. Now uh, there's also the Arcanist is its own thing, where they have some class abilities and some options they can take where they can actually become really good at counterspelling. Instead of it being a ready action for them, it is a immediate action, which makes it much more useful. Way better. Yeah, and they can. I think they can dis- uh, sacrifice any spell of the same level or lower, something or like same that, level yeah. or higher, or something like that. Right. Or lower. Oh, yeah. I'll pick lower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, to- he's casting World Wave. I'm going to counter that with Magic Missile. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're probably thinking when you're a spellcaster, like, you know, fighters get to pick a bunch of feats to augment their martial prowess do i get to pick feats to augment my spell casting prowess and the answer is yes you do and it's a lot more difficult though so nothing about spell casting is simple so get ready <laughs> there are feats called meta magic feats what meta magic feats do is you apply a meta magic feat to a spell and when you cast that spell it changes the effect of the spell right Let's just give a very basic example of an empowered spell. You take the empowered spell metamagic feat. What it says is that when you cast a spell with the empowered descriptor, or when you cast a spell and you apply the empowered metamagic, all numerable effects of the spell are increased by 50%. So let's our fire derp does 2d6 points of damage by 50%, so it's 2d... Well, no, you, you, roll, you roll the dice then and you increase whatever final number is by 50%. Oh, okay. Now, but that comes at a cost. When you prepare a spell with the Empowered Spell Magic, it increases the level by 2. So let's use Magic Missile as an example. You are a level 5 wizard, so you can cast up to level 3 spells. At the beginning of the day, you say, I'm going to cast an Empowered Magic Missile today. You now have in your level 3 spell slot an Empowered Magic Missile. You shoot your empowered magic missile, it deals 1d4 plus 1, 1d4 plus 1, 1d4 plus 1. You add all that up together, and then you increase the damage by 50%. Right. And it's a level 3 spell then. And then you used it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gone, just like normal. Now, how metamagic works in between spontaneous and prepared casters is a little bit different. Like we just said with the wizard... At the beginning of the day, you say, you know, I'm going to prepare me an empowered magic missile. Going to prepare me an empowered magic missile. Why? Because <laughs> I'm out of Bagua. <laughs> well, with spontaneous casters, they don't prepare their spells. Instead, when they want to apply a meta magic to a spell, they cast that spell as a full round action. So if a level 6 sorcerer wanted to do the same thing the wizard just did, he goes to cast magic missile... 
he takes a full round action instead of a standard action, and he casts Empowered Magic Missile, and then it counts as a level 3 spell. So he checks off a level 3 spell used for the day. Now, Meta Magic becomes very versatile. You can, you know, increase the damage of spells. You can make them hurt incorporeal things. You can make them hit things farther away. You can waste an entire feat to make ones that have fire, light, or electricity dazzle their opponents. <laughs> that minus one on attack rolls matters. They might miss your spell book. <laughs> you, there's actually a really important one. Called, no, because I'll cheat my rolls. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a really important one called Quicken Spell, where it increases the level of the spell by four, which is huge, but it makes casting it a swift action. And if you remember about casting a swift action, that means you can cast two spells in one turn. Mm-hmm. And it makes your action economy much better. And there are some metamagic feats that take away components. There's silent spell and still spell, which will take away your um, verbal, and somatic. verbal and somatic components, respectively. Right. Helpful for the underwater campaign we all want to run. Yes. <laughs> So that's it. Pretty basic. I mean, a lot of back guano. <laughs> a lot of back guano. I mean, I hope things are really clear. It took, like, what, five minutes? Yeah. So, yeah, everybody become casters. It's real easy. No, there were some complicated rules, or at least there's a lot of them. Yeah, they're not, none of them are necessarily complicated. Like, you can read a spell and be like, okay, that's that, that's that, mm-hmm. that's that. It's just, it's a lot of information. Yeah. Hopefully what we've been able to do for you here is now you can read any spell and know exactly how it's going to work. All right. Thanks for attending. Class dismissed. <laughs> Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. Visit our site for other great Pathfinder podcasts. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening.